The opinions expressed in the following episode do not necessarily reflect those of the Minds of Madness podcast. Listener discretion is advised. reflection and hope, a moment to bid farewell to the past and embrace the future. But for one family in St. Joseph Township, Michigan, the festivities in 2018 would be cut short in the most brutal way. At 11 p.m., the police department received a chilling 911 call from a woman in distress. Her voice was shaking, her words barely audible, but the message was clear. Her husband had been shot and he needed help fast. What first responders found when they arrived on the scene was horrific. A U.S. sergeant shot execution style, lying in a pool of blood in his family's driveway. Who could have done such a thing and why? The investigation that followed would reveal a tangled web of secrets, lies, and betrayals. Join me now as we take a look into the investigation of a well-respected soldier brutally murdered. We'll unravel how a dangerous combination of greed, passion, and deceit all converged to create a perfect storm. It's a heartbreaking story of a life cut short, a family left to pick up the pieces, and the pursuit of justice in the face of unimaginable tragedy. As the world prepared to say goodbye to 2018, the Hassel family gathered in Benton Harbor, Michigan, preparing to ring in the new year. Tyrone Hassel III and his wife Kamaya, both serving in the military, had just returned home from an eight-month deployment in South Korea. After being away from family for the better part of a year, Tyrone wanted nothing more than to celebrate the new year with his loved ones in the town he'd grown up in with his nine other siblings. From a young age, Tyrone's parents, Tyrone Hassel Jr. and LaShonda Jones, knew he was destined for greatness. Throughout school, he'd excelled in academics and athletics, earning an honors scholarship to attend Grand Valley State University to study mechanical engineering, and his future was looking promising. But then, something shifted. A desire to serve his country suddenly took hold, and Tyrone made the decision to leave behind his studies for a different path, one that would take him far away from home and put his life on the line. In February of 2015, Tyrone joined the U.S. Army with an unwavering desire to serve his country, and he was a natural receiving multiple awards and working his way up the ranks to sergeant in no time. But fate had more in store for Tyrone than just the military. In 2016, he fell head over heels in love with another soldier named Kamaya, who he married. Soon after, they welcomed a little bundle of joy into their lives, Tyrone Hassel IV, who they affectionately nicknamed 
chunk. Close to Fort Stewart where they were stationed, the young family made their home in Atlanta, Georgia. But just as they were getting settled, their lives were uprooted when both soldiers were deployed to South Korea shortly after Chunk's first birthday, leaving little Chunk in the care of Tyrone's father. In December of 2018, Fort Stewart soldiers were granted leave for the holidays. Once back home in Georgia, Tyrone and Kamaya made the drive to Michigan to spend Christmas with Tyrone's family at his father's home in St. Joseph Township. After such a chaotic year and being away from their family for so long, the reunion was a welcome change of pace. Tyrone spent the time off catching up with childhood friends, giving haircuts and staying fit, determined not to lose his edge before returning back to base. He planned on heading back to Georgia with Kamai and Chunk after Christmas, but decided to extend their stay until Kamai's 22nd birthday on January 3rd. On New Year's Eve, the Hassel family had few plans beyond spending the evening together. But that night, while Tyrone and his father attended a gathering at a relative's home, Kamaya decided to stay back with her son, happy to skip the late-night festivities and enjoy a quiet night at home. At the gathering, Tyrone's father was cooking up a storm for all the relatives. I was in the kitchen cooking everything, different flavored chicken, meatballs, some shrimp, and I don't remember everything, but we would just have a couple drinks and enjoying each other as family. As midnight approached, Tyrone's father prepared a plate of food for his son to take back home to Kamaya. He wanted to make sure Tyrone got back before the New Year celebrations got out of hand, as people often fired guns into the air to celebrate. So at exactly 10.57 p.m., Tyrone left the party and headed back to his father's house. Five minutes later, Tyrone's dad received a call from Kamaya, and she was hysterical. Tyrone had just been shot in the driveway of his home. I couldn't believe it because he just walked out the door and he wasn't with anybody. So I was running in circles for a minute and I just ran out, jumped in my truck and flew to my house. As Tyrone's father rushed over, he was overcome with shock and disbelief. How could this have happened? Tyrone had just left the party a few minutes ago. As first responders made their way onto the scene, they found a black male lying on the ground in a pool of his own blood, slumped against a dark-colored Dodge pickup truck. Holding on to him was his wife, Kamaya, sobbing hysterically. As paramedics moved closer, they gently instructed her to move out of the way so he could be treated. Let me know when we got to get him on there, guys. Yep. Man, we're going to have to get him on this cot, okay? Right. I know you, I know. Well, let me have it. Let me get in there, ma'am, okay? Let us, let us get in there, honey. Tyrone had clearly suffered multiple gunshot wounds, one below his right ear, the back of his head, his neck, and another in his shoulder. As Tyrone was placed onto the stretcher, his father walked up the driveway where he managed to catch a glimpse of his son. When I arrived, the paramedics was already there. I saw my son, the back of his head, blow up. 
and his eyes were open. We got to get you guys out of here so we can secure this scene, okay? We got to collect some evidence and find out what the hell's going on yeah, here, okay? Come out here with us. Come out here with us. I know, I know, I know, I know, man. We got it, but we got to get you out of here a second, okay? We'll talk to you in a minute. Do you live here, bud? I live here. Okay, what's your name? My grandson is probably in there by okay. himself. Okay, we'll, we'll go. I'll go take care of that for you if he is. He's we'll get one. You in. Okay, we'll get you in there, there, okay? Okay. Bye. Um, Sergeant Thomas Dwyer recounts what he encountered when he first arrived at the scene. When I came on scene, I actually made my way along the via the passenger side of that car. Basically, he was sitting on the ground uh, with his back up against the side of the car by the driver's door, the head hanging down. Uh, the first thing I noticed was that he was obviously deceased. I could see brain matter on the ground. I could see that he had, had it coming out. He was uh, bleeding profusely. He was obviously, I'm not a doctor, but it appeared that he was uh, dead. When they loaded Tyrone into the ambulance, Kamaya tried jumping in after him, but an officer held her back. Who's, who's this guy that's shot in the head? That's shot in the head? Yes. Okay. What's his name? Tyrone Hassel. He's third. What's Tyrone's date of birth? August 23rd, 1995. I think he's 23. Does he live here? This house? We just visited This is his dad's house. Okay. He lives in Georgia. As police entered Hassel Jr.'s home, they found Tyrone's little boy, Chunk, standing by the door, observing the chaos unfolding on the driveway. Tragically, despite paramedics' best efforts, Tyrone passed away. All attempts to resuscitate him had failed. At the young age of 23, Tyrone Hassel III was pronounced dead. The events leading up to Tyrone's death were unclear, and no one could make any sense of what had happened. Incredibly, it was discovered that Tyrone hadn't just been murdered, he'd been executed. But why? The young man had led a life of dignity and honor, and had no known enemies. Who could have been motivated to take the life of a devoted father, husband, son, and soldier? An initial theory behind Tyrone's murder was that it had been a robbery gone wrong, a theory quickly dismissed when Tyrone's valuables were found still on him. It was clear from the evidence this wasn't some random act of violence. Tyrone had been targeted. In the days and weeks that followed, the Hassel family was plunged into a nightmare of grief and uncertainty. The investigation into Tyrone's death would reveal a tangled web of lies and secrets with each new revelation raising more questions than answers. Starting with the two hours before Tyrone's murder, when police discovered Tyrone had made a trip to Walmart. But what was he there for? They'd soon find out Tyrone had purchased 9mm handgun ammunition, coincidentally the same ammunition used to shoot him. The coincidence raised suspicions that Tyrone may have known his shooter or that the shooter might have deliberately used the same ammunition to avoid detection. Upon further review of the store surveillance footage, investigators noticed two other males in the checkout line behind Tyrone also buying ammunition, and they seemed to know each other. 
All three men had a brief conversation before leaving the store in separate vehicles. The discovery led to speculation that the two men could be involved in the shooting or possibly had information related to the incident. But the lead turned out to be a dead end. The two males were just a couple of Tyrone's old school buddies with no apparent motive or connection to the shooting. As the lead fizzled out, another one emerged when Tyrone's father approached police with a new possible lead. He suspected there might have been another intended victim, another family member, his stepson, Benny Newman Jr. From his second marriage with a woman named Ashanti, unlike Tyrone, Benny had a bit of a checkered past with a history of stealing vehicles and swiping personal belongings, undoubtedly leaving behind a trail of enemies. Benny had also been seen driving around town in a truck that looked strikingly similar to Tyrone's. Was it possible that someone with a vendetta against Benny mistook him for Tyrone? A quick background check into Benny Newman revealed he was being investigated for multiple crimes, including home invasion where a firearm was stolen. But when police arranged an interview with Benny, he denied any involvement in the crimes. Police then presented Benny with a photo, showing him posing with the same gun suspected of being stolen, but he claimed the gun was fake. Later, Ashante Hassel, Benny's mother, suggested a new suspect, Darius Carter, who'd come to their home to confront Benny about a stolen phone and vehicle. But when police managed to track down Darius, he explained the situation had already been settled and his property returned. Darius also stated he had no intention of pressing charges against Benny and provided an alibi for the night of the murder, which police confirmed. Despite following up on numerous leads that led nowhere, detectives continued to investigate. Eventually, detectives would receive yet another lead, this time more fruitful. On January 1st, 2019, the police got a tip from a man named Frank O'Brien. Frank's neighbor, Walter Nost, who lived just a block away from the Hassel's house on Colfax Avenue, reported to Frank some suspicious activity he'd witnessed that might be linked to Tyrone's shooting. When police paid Walter a visit at his home, he informed them that on the night of the shooting, between 9.30 and 10 p.m., he'd seen a dark-colored vehicle with front LED lights back up into the driveway of a vacated home with a for sale sign across the street from him. This wasn't the first time Walter had seen the car around. A few days before, he'd also seen the same car parked in the driveway of the same house. Walter observed the car for about 10 minutes, intently watching its movements. Suddenly, the vehicle sped off, only to return a few minutes later, parking in the exact same spot as before. A male of average height, wearing dark clothing, got out of the car and began making his way toward Colfax Avenue. Shortly after, Walter heard six consecutive gunshots, followed by loud police sirens not long after. When he peered outside the window again, the suspicious vehicle was gone. Police promptly began reviewing surveillance footage from local businesses in an attempt to track down any vehicle matching the description Walter had given them. Eleven days into the investigation, police received an unexpected call from a woman in Georgia 
claiming to have information about Tyrone's murder. The woman was the mother of a soldier in Kamaya's unit, and her son had told her something deeply disturbing. According to him, Kamaya had been having an affair with a soldier in the same unit. But that's not all. The soldier she'd been having an affair with had also been bragging to other soldiers that he'd driven all the way to Michigan and killed Kamaya's husband. The problem was, the woman didn't know the soldier's name. Immediately, police got in touch with a special agent in charge at Fort Stewart and identified the mystery man as Jeremy Kular, a 24-year-old soldier. With this new revelation, the investigation took a sharp turn. Suddenly, the main suspects in Tyrone's murder was his own wife and her not-so-secret boyfriend, Jeremy. Investigators knew they had to be careful if they were going to get Kamaya down to the station without tipping her off. So they called in the big guns, Tyrone's father, and the plan worked. As soon as Kamaya and Hassel Jr. walked through the doors of the station, detectives separated the two, sending Hassel Jr. home. Kamaya was brought in for interrogation, where she surprised them all by waving her right to remain silent. Investigators knew they had an opportunity here, and they weren't about to waste it. The first question they asked Kamaya was whether or not she knew Jeremy Kuehler. Although she admitted to knowing Jeremy, she denied any romantic involvement with him, claiming they were just friends who worked together when they were in Korea. She also admitted to occasionally texting him, including after Tyrone's murder. But detectives weren't convinced by her story and decided to use a common police tactic. They told Kamaya that Jeremy was already in custody and was talking to them, careful not to reveal any details about what Jeremy was supposedly saying. They hoped to solicit a response from Kamaya, which seemed to work. As Kamaya became visibly uncomfortable and nervous, she begged detectives to tell her what Jeremy was telling them about Tyrone's death. That's when one of the detectives pulled out his phone and showed her a picture of a vehicle with a Georgia license plate. It had been captured by a plate scanner on a Michigan highway, and it was Jeremy's license plate. How was she going to possibly explain Jeremy being in Michigan? License plate scans further revealed that Jeremy had driven to Michigan not just once, but multiple times during the holidays leading up to the murder. But Kamaya denied any knowledge of Jeremy's trips to Michigan. At this point, detectives decided to use another police tactic and asked Kamaya if she'd be willing to take a polygraph test. She agreed. She also failed. We all know that when it comes to legal proceedings, polygraph tests don't tend to hold a lot of weight. They're often unreliable, inadmissible, and about as useful as a screen door in a submarine when it comes to evidence. They're often excluded as evidence in court due to concerns over their accuracy, as well as the potential for misleading results based on factors such as the test taker's physical or emotional state. But that doesn't mean that they're not a valuable tool for police. In fact, it's often the case that polygraphs are just the thing to get a suspect talking. And that's exactly what detectives were hoping for in the case of Kamaya. 
there's no doubt about it, you are a pawn here. You're the most important thing I care about right now because you know what? You matter to your son. But you gotta get out in front of this. He's brought you down to stuff that you don't deserve to be a part of. Now you might be wondering why Detective Langowski seemed to be taking Kamaya's side, despite her being a suspect in Tyrone's murder. But building a rapport with the suspect is just another tactic detectives use to crack a case. It's all about establishing a connection, being relatable and personable. The hope is that the suspect will feel comfortable enough to let their guard down, maybe even enough to confess. You're not the person driving this. You're not the one pulling the trigger. You need to get out from this for your son because you have a future. As the interview continued, Detective Langowski attempted to shift the focus onto Jeremy, painting him as the villain, the one who manipulated Kamaya into doing something completely out of character. Kamaya was just a victim, a puppet in Jeremy's twisted game, and he'd taken advantage of her when she was at a vulnerable point in her marriage, a theory that detectives believed might steer Kamaya towards the truth. This guy got into you, he got into your head, you guys are working together, he's playing you, and I don't mean it in a bad way, we all get played. And what you do today, what you do this minute is going to be a huge thing. You don't deserve to be in this circle at all. Unfortunately, you were taking advantage of The guy's cold-blooded. To do what he did was cold-blooded. And just like that, Detective Langowski's careful and persistent questioning had finally broken through Kamaya's walls and she began revealing what she'd been hiding all along. According to Kamaya, the affair had started when they were serving in South Korea. She'd confided in Jeremy about her marriage troubles during a heated argument with Tyrone, and before she knew it, the two of them were involved in a full-blown romantic relationship. It was a stunning admission, and one that could change everything in the case. In Kamaya's words, Jeremy had a way of making big promises. He told her that if he were her husband, he'd take some weight off her shoulders, help out with the baby, and be there for her emotionally. I worked the same amount of hours that he worked, and I still have to come home and do everything for the baby. I agree that's not fair. Kamaya had convinced herself that she'd be better off with Jeremy. Meanwhile, Tyrone was already on to them and urged Kamaya to break things off with Jeremy. But the forbidden romance continued, and Kamaya and Jeremy's conversations soon turned from flirtatious to sinister. They began plotting Tyrone's murder using Snapchat to communicate because they knew any messages sent through the app would disappear immediately leaving no incriminating evidence behind. As it turned out, every single soldier, including Tyrone, had a $400,000 life insurance policy to their name. Had this been the real motive behind their sinister plan to get rid of Tyrone all along? I mean, is the money part of it? The money is part of it, yes. Okay. But main reason being is because I just felt like if I would have called it off, like, Jeremy probably would have, like, been upset at the fact that I called it off. And I, I didn't want him, like, mad at me. As Tyrone and Kamaya visited Michigan for the holidays, 
Kamaya's diabolical plan had already been set into motion to leave Michigan with her lover and leave her husband behind for good. But the pair faced a dilemma. They needed to eliminate Tyrone before their planned departure on January 2nd because Tyrone intended on bringing his younger sister back to live with them, which would have only complicated matters. To bring their plan to fruition, Jeremy made several trips to Benton Harbor and monitored Tyrone's father's house, waiting for the perfect opportunity to strike. But trying to find a time when Tyrone was alone became a problem. Someone always seemed to be around. Kamai didn't want to risk any neighbors witnessing the murder, or anyone else for that matter. So she seized the opportunity on New Year's Eve, when Tyrone made the solo trip to drop off the plate of food for her. That's when she texted Jeremy, and he sprang into action. After driving the short distance back to his father's home and dropping the plate off to Kamaya, Tyrone headed back to his truck, planning on returning to the New Year's Eve party with his dad. But before he could reach his vehicle, Tyrone was ambushed by Jeremy, who shot him at point-blank range. With Kamaya's confession now on record, it was clear she had a more active role in her husband's murder than anyone could have ever expected, leading to her arrest and charges of first-degree premeditated murder. As investigators continued gathering evidence, witnesses also started coming forward with new information about Kamai and Jeremy's secret relationship and knowledge of the murder. Um, as far as I know, it was platonic to a certain amount of time. It was an incident where, you know, Jeremy Coyar stated that that was his female, that was his girl. One witness claimed Jeremy had disclosed his plan to kill Tyrone during their time together in Korea and had bragged about successfully ending Tyrone's life. He came to my room, basically just stating that Buddy has to go and basically just saying that he wants to do it around block leave time. I said, what do you mean? And he explained it. He's basically explained Buddy has to go. Like he has to get done. He has to get rid of him. After the fact, Jeremy bragged to him about how he'd successfully ended Tyrone's life. He just came up to me and was like, it's done. He was going into details, basically just saying uh, he pulled him coming out the house and shot him in the head. And then he dropped and then he shot him again. He was telling me how he was taken out the place for a couple days and how his window was closing and he had to get it done. Another witness revealed they'd sold Jeremy the same 9mm Ruger used in the murder. Further surveillance footage confirmed that the car seen by a witness parked across the street from Tyrone's father's home belonged to Jeremy. And when police searched Jeremy's car, they found 9mm bullets inside, the same bullets used in the murder. Finally, police had enough evidence to charge Jeremy with first-degree premeditated murder as well. But both Jeremy and Kamaya initially pled not guilty to murder. While in jail awaiting trial, Kamaya made a phone call to her mother and confessed to planning Tyrone's murder, a phone call that would later be used against her as evidence at trial. The trial of Kamaya Hassel began in July of 2019, with more than 20 witnesses called for the prosecution including a handful of soldiers from Jeremy's unit who testified they heard Jeremy bragging about killing Tyrone after the fact. But Jeremy wasn't the one on trial. 
Instead, it was up to the prosecutor to prove that Kamaya herself had been a knowing and willing participant in the murder plot. You know all along that she knew about this. The question is, was she involved? And you know that she was involved from all the evidence. She may try to claim that she only knew about it and did not assist, did not encourage or give any aid or counsel in this case, but you know the evidence shows otherwise. But if you knew all along, as soon as your husband's murdered, you knew it was Jeremy Cuellar, you never say anything? You're sending the money? The only reason you're not saying anything is you were involved and you want to get away with it. The prosecutor also called Kamai out for her questionable search records days after Tyrone's murder. January 3rd, at 1.53 in the morning Eastern time. What do I do after I, my house is paid off? Clearly, she knew she was coming into a substantial sum of money. Yeah, that's not a surprise. She knew she had life insurance. Your husband was just killed a couple days ago, three days ago, and you're already searching at 1 in the morning, 1.53 in the morning. What do I do after I paid off my house? Seems to me that wouldn't be the first thing you're really thinking of. Or deleting my Snapchat account wouldn't be the first thing you're really thinking of. With the mountain of evidence implicating Kamaya in her husband's death, including her own admissions on the phone call to her mother, and her interrogation with police, the defense had no leg to stand on. Her lawyer still tried his best to sway the jury by claiming Jeremy was 100% responsible and that there was no evidence to actually prove his client ever took part in the planning. He also argued that Detective Langowski had manipulated his client into making a false confession. The thing that struck me the most, ladies and gentlemen, is that while he was giving this, you know, soliloquy of, of, of what a great person you are, and you got to think about your family, and you got to think about your son, is, is he said, you got to get out in front of this because you have a future with your son. But ladies and gentlemen, if she is implicating herself in a plot to kill her husband, what kind of future does she, she have? What kind of future does she have confessing to first-degree murder? None. These are just all of the things, all of the manipulative tactics that Detective Longusky employed. And like I said, they work. They work beautifully. They work to the tune of Kamaya Hassel completely changing her story for no other reason than, well, Detective Longusky asked her to. On top of lying about having Jeremy in custody and pretending to be Kamaya's friend, her defense argued the detective had used a tactic they called parroting. Detective Longusky would say, oh, you weren't really getting the love you wanted at home. And Kamaya said, yeah, I wasn't getting the love I wanted at home. He said, "Was money was involved, wasn't it? She said, yeah, yeah, money was involved. In those videos, he said, well, the plan was to hook up when you got back to Georgia, right? She said, yeah, the, we were going to hook up when we got back to Georgia. He said, are those Snapchat messages going to make it look like you were pushing it? She said, yeah, it'll make it look like I was pushing it. He said, did he come up each night? She said, yeah, yeah, he came up each night. He said, did you talk to each other each day? She said, yeah, yeah, we talked to each other each day. It wasn't just an echo, which maybe would have been a more appropriate phrase, ladies and gentlemen. She was literally parroting the things that he was saying back to her. In the end, the jury didn't buy the false confession defense and found Kamaya guilty. She was sentenced to life in prison without parole. Tyrone's mother, LaShonda, spoke of her heartbreak at Kamaya's sentencing. How could you? How could you 
Take the life of a man that gave you his last name, Hassel, a last name that you didn't deserve to have. And I hope every time you close your eyes, my son tap you on your shoulders and smile just to remind you that his life is not over because he is still living for God and you will be living in hell until the day you die because you are a cold-blooded murderer. You killed my son without emotion or pity. Less than two weeks after Kamaya's guilty verdict, Jeremy pulled a complete 180 and pled guilty to murdering Tyrone, perhaps knowing he didn't stand a chance. Despite the gravity of Jeremy's crime and his upcoming sentencing, Tyrone's father was still in search for answers. He needed to understand the twisted reasoning behind his son's murder, and so he made his way to the jail where Jeremy was being held to confront the man who'd taken his son's life, all in the hope of finding some semblance of closure in the face of unspeakable tragedy. Astonishingly, Jeremy was willing to talk. In their conversation, Jeremy revealed that his affair with Kamaya had started before they were deployed to Korea. At the time, Jeremy was also married, going through marriage troubles of his own, and was in the process of getting a divorce. With me and her, we, um, this was before my wife had came, before we had left to Korea. Now, Kamaya, I didn't really look at her like that, to be honest with you, you know, when I first met her. She was helping me because I had no car yet going back and from to work from the barracks. So she was doing that all week. And this is when they only had that Honda Accord. And uh, she was helping me out. One time uh, her gas was on E. And this is when she was like, you know, she's coming in about gas. I was like, you know, I might as well, you know, I, I should get you gas because you've been taking me back to work. You know what I'm saying? I could at least do that. And she was like, oh, you really going to do that? I'm like, yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? So we went to the gas. I pumped her gas. And um, I was like, you want something to eat? And she was just like, damn, like, you gonna pump my gas and give me some food? Like, yeah, like, you know, my husband don't even do that. And she was just like, nah, I'm good. Okay. Two days later, I had a dream about her. And I woke up from a call from her, from that dream. And to be honest with you, I ran with that. When she called me, she was like, yeah, I'm just making sure if you got, you know, you got a ride. I was like, nah, Sergeant Smith gonna pick me up. I appreciate it. And she was like, Okay. After this encounter, Jeremy added Kamaya on Snapchat and continued seeing her, developing an intimate relationship that lasted into the deployment to Korea. When we got to Korea, it was probably like the third month, fourth month, the fourth month that we was there. And we was updating our life insurances. And when we did so, you know, we went back to the barracks and me and her is in there. Me, me in my room and she brought it up she goes so is your uh is your wife on the life insurance and i was like no nah, it's my mom and she was like okay she was like yeah i'm on ties i was like okay and she was just like yeah you know you know what i'll do with four hundred thousand. i was like there's a whole bunch of shit you can do with four hundred thousand. and she was like yeah i'll pay off the house you know what i'm saying stuff like that i was like true i'll probably just give me a bike and she was just like yeah four hundred thousand would be nice and then she said it again I was like, damn, you talking like you would want him to die. Like, you want an accident to happen. And she sat there and she looked at me and she was like, what's up? At that moment, man, I should have I should have been like, bitch, you crazy. But man, sir, like, I really opened up to her. You know, I really did. 
Jeremy grew up without a father, and more than anything, he wanted a stable family. He saw a future with Kamaya and her baby, and would have done anything for her, including murder. It honestly took me like six times, sir. At least six times, I'm, I'm being completely honest with you. The first time I choked while I was feeling anxious, this is when he was coming from that club, the one club that's right there by that gas station. I'm being honest with you, sir. I was right there waiting on him. When he was heading home, you know, I was already, you know, there waiting. I'm sitting there and I was thinking about this. I'm just like, yo, like, I was getting anxious. And I was just like, man, you know what? So I started walking off. He came. I did run back, but he was already in the house. And I was like, man, I'm tripping. I went back to the car. She messaged me. She was like, yeah, he's inside already. He's not coming back out. I was like, yeah, another time. Jeremy had five more opportunities to kill Tyrone but kept getting cold feet, despite Kamaya putting pressure on him to get the job done already. They didn't have much time left. They were leaving Michigan on the 3rd. She was just like, you know, we need to do this because we're leaving on the 3rd. And I was like, uh, I came and basically I missed. You know what I'm saying? Like he had went somewhere. She was like, oh, he's gone. And I was like, man. And she was just like, we'll do this when we uh, when we go to Georgia. I was like, no, nah, like I want to do this now. So I want to get this shit over with. So he left. He was gone. Like she said, he wouldn't come back. I was like, all right. And I was like, damn, like, can I at least see you or something? Like, you know what I'm saying? I was like, let me get it quick. Or at least let me see you. And she was just like, no, nah, like, this ain't what we're here for. And I was just like, damn. She was like, you do, we'll do all that in Georgia. And then she also said she had chunk. And I was like, yeah, that's understandable because it is cold. I was like, man. But I was still mad because it's like, man, like, you really want me to do this shit. You know what I'm saying? I even told her that we really had to do it. I, I don't know. So when I left, that's when she was like, oh, he's coming back. And I was already mad because it's like, you don't even want to see me. Like, you really just want me to do this shit. So I was like, man, so I, I came back and that's when it happened. Honestly, I was mad. That's why it was so many shots. At the end of the hour-long call, Jeremy would make a rather bold request. I would like for you to still visit me. You know, I know, I know you probably, like, what the fuck are you talking about, but I hope you would still visit me, you know, <laughs> and forgive me, you know, honestly. Well, I'm going to have to do what you're doing. I'm going to have to talk to God and work on that. But uh, I'm going to keep an open mind. Jeremy received a 65 to 90 year prison sentence. And despite expressing remorse to Tyrone's father, he later withdrew his guilty plea and lost his appeals. While Kamaya attempted to appeal her conviction, claiming inadequate legal representation, her conviction was upheld. In the end, both Jeremy and Kamaya's actions only served to compound the pain and suffering that Tyrone's family and friends had already endured. Despite treating Kamaya like a daughter and opening up his home to her, Tyrone's father was unknowingly harboring one of the murderers responsible for his son's death. For 11 days, Kamaya pretended to grieve alongside the family while hiding her guilt, all while Tyrone's father searched for answers. Tyrone's untimely death was a devastating loss not only to his family, but to his country. As a dedicated and passionate soldier, he served his country with honor and distinction. Through his hard work and leadership, he made a real difference in the lives of his fellow soldiers and the country he served. 
he was also a beloved son, brother, husband, and father, whose absence will continue to be felt every day. We can honor Tyrone's legacy by emulating his example, a man who truly lived his life with integrity, kindness, and dedication to his family and country. His memory will live on through the people whose lives he touched and the son he never had the chance to see grow up. Follow The Minds of Madness on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To support the show and get access to ad-free episodes, extra content, and Patreon-exclusive episodes, go to patreon.com slash madnesspod. To find us on Instagram and Facebook, search The Minds of Madness, and on Twitter using the handle at madnesspod. And also, by checking out our sponsors and using our promo codes, you're also helping support the show. We've got all the links in our episode notes. So until next week, thanks for listening. <laughs>